You're listening to the Off the Grid Biz Podcast. I'm Brian Pombo. I'm going to set the scene for you a little bit with this next interview. You see, this all started when I was set to meet one-on-one with Kirsten and Christopher Shockey. This is kind of different because up until this point, I had not done any live interviews with anybody for this podcast. Everything had been done either by phone, we also do it by Zoom, which is a digital communication similar to Skype. And so being one-on-one, I thought I had all my equipment working properly. Sadly, I was wrong. (laughs) After finishing up, I realized that my microphone was not fully plugged in to my recording device. What we ended up with was subpar audio. The conversation I had with the Shockies was so interesting, was so revealing, that I found it necessary to get as much out of this audio as possible. What we ended up with is there are some parts of the audio you may not be able to fully understand what the person's saying. So here's what I did to help resolve the problem. We attempted to get the audio to sound as best as we could, and I've added in transcription where you can actually read what everybody's saying. If you would rather read it, go check out the description or go to offthegridbiz.com, and right in the post, you can read every word that is spoken in the podcast. With that in mind, I hope you enjoy this great conversation that I had with the Shockies. If you're someone who refuses to go along to get along, if you question whether the status quo is good enough for you and your family, you want to leave this world better off than you found it, and you consider independence a sacred thing, you may be a prepper, a gardener, a homesteader, a survivalist, a farmer, a rancher, an environmentalist, or a rugged outdoorsman. This show is for those who choose the road less traveled, the road to self-reliance, for those living a daring adventure, life off the grid. Kirsten and Christopher Shockey are the co-authors of best-selling books, Fermented Vegetables, Fiery Ferments, and the new Miso, Tempa, Natto, and other tasty ferments that came from their desire to both help people eat in new ways, both for the health of themselves and the planet, and push these culinary arts to new flavors. They got their start in fermenting foods 20 years ago on a 40-acre hillside smallholding which they grew into their organic food company. When Kirsten and Christopher realized their passion was for the process, they chose to focus on teaching fermentation arts to others instead. Today, they travel worldwide, helping people to make, enjoy, and connect with their food. Kirsten and Christopher, welcome to the Off the Grid Biz Podcast. Thank Thank you. you. Glad to be here. So why don't you just let everyone know a little bit about who you are and what your roles are at Ferment Works. Yeah, so I'm Kirsten Shockey, and what we're doing now is teaching people to ferment, and most of that is through writing books, um, but then that takes us all over the place teaching classes. The uh, fun part is fermentation is becoming more and more well-known as such an important food for our, our gut health, and so people are curious, people want to feel better, yeah, that's where we come into picture. In the previous incarnation of the business, we, we made products. So we're an organic food company, 
and we would take um, organic produce in the valley here and turn it into fermented vegetables, pickles, sauerkraut, kimchi, things like that. We mm -hmm. sold at farmers markets and sold in Grants Pass and uh, Medford and Ashland in that area. And we basically grew to where we serviced this area. And then when we were facing the first Whole Foods order that was as big as everything we had produced before, um, that was the realization that we either grew and became something bigger and moved our facilities and everything else, or we decided to transition it to this space. And this is what we've been doing since the book came out in 2014. Yeah, and part of that was when we were at the market, we realized how interested people were in understanding this foods more than we would have we would have known. And so that was part of the decision. Very cool. So how did you end up here? What's your basic life up until this point? <laughs> But we're old enough. That's a long story. <laughs> yeah. Just give a brief synopsis. I mean, we learned a little bit from your bio. Yeah. So uh, we met in Arizona Community College way back in the day, back in the 80s, for those of you that maybe don't remember. It was as crazy as it looks in the pictures. My first career was at Hewlett Packard. So um, we lived in Boise. Then we moved to uh, Corvallis. So that's what brought us to Oregon, East Corvallis. In that meantime... We have uh, four wonderful kids. So Kirsten homeschooled. She was trained as a school teacher, so she homeschooled the kids. And we got ever-progressively larger pieces of property to also manage. So we had an acre in Corvallis. And then we wanted the kids to grow up in a rural setting to know where the food came from. And um, we looked all over the country, actually. Everything from played-out dairy farms in New York to South Dakota, place you could get a lot of land for not a lot of money. And um, it was one of, one of the trips down to California. We came through this valley, and uh, we have friends, the Penningtons, that live in the valley. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just fell in love with it. So we found a, a farm that was uh, the people had raised four kids there, and they had had it on the market for 14 years. And basically they were waiting for a family like that they wanted to take the farm over. Wow. So we kind of interviewed for it, really. Didn't know it, but it was 110 that day, and so the kids stripped off and played in the creek. And, you know, uh, it was the place we probably should have found. So that was in 1998, and that's what brought us here. And we've been trying to figure out how to make the farm pay for itself ever since. Mm -hmm. So we were homesteading, and a lot of that, like Christopher said, was so that the kids could know where their food came from mm -hmm. as part of just being rounded individuals. And so we had dairy animals, and that led us to cheese making. Um, not as a business ever, but that, that was kind of one of the first ferments that we were doing. Mm -hmm. The farm came with a lot of uh, really old, wonderful apple trees, so cider making also uh, became a thing. And then the vegetables sort of started with a, with a Christmas present. My mom uh, gave us a crock with sauerkraut in it, already fermenting, wrapped up under the tree. And, um, so from there, we, we realized that fermenting vegetables from the garden was a much better way to preserve them. And back to trying to find a little family business to make the farm, you know, a little bit profitable, that was when we did the small sauerkraut company. And so you transitioned from having the physical product mm -hmm. into basically you're an information business in mm -hmm. a sense, right? Mm -hmm. That's great. Sure. So you've written a few books. Why don't you tell us a little bit about them? The first book is 
fermented vegetables, and that's the one that really came out of that whole farmer's market experience. Um, so what we were doing is we were taking seconds and overages and things like that from the local organic farms. Um, I would get called up and, I have 400 pounds of burdock root or persnips or fill in the blank, can you do something with this? And at the time, there wasn't a lot about vegetable fermentation on the internet. There weren't a lot of um, recipes. There, weren't, there was nothing that said, yes, persnips are safe to ferment or not safe. This is how they would taste good. And yeah. so I just started um, experimenting and turns out the science is such that you can't kill yourself with fermented vegetables and any vegetable will ferment but at that particular time I didn't quite have that down yet. Yeah. Um, so all that experimentation became what 50, 50 or so varieties in that first year um, because we were just working so locally um, and just creating recipes from what was available at that moment in time. Um, so that became that first book, that and having people come to the come to the farm and learn, mm -hmm. and really listening to their questions and what people didn't understand. And so we tried to make it a book that was like somebody coming to the farm, and then also something where anything that came out of their garden or from their CSA basket, they could figure out what to do with it. Wow. So the second book was a taking that one a little further with condiments and hot sauce. <laughs> I went to the Lagrange uh, and brought too many peppers home, so oh. just all of those little plants. And then, so we had a lot of peppers and uh, didn't know what we didn't want to dry everything, and so just to start experimenting, fermenting, because that's what we knew. And uh, came up with some great hot sauces. The, the first book is um, in five languages now, I think. Wow. And we were just uh, we were just in South America for the Spanish version, teaching people in Buenos Aires and Chile how to ferment, and oh, we were just in Spain teaching uh, the Spanish version. So um, some cultures like spicy foods, and some some cultures don't. So yeah, for fire ferments has had uh, where people like things a little bit spicy, they love it, and for other people it's like the first step into something a little more spicy. But mm -hmm. you don't have they don't have to be hot. Deep that, and then uh, and this latest book is um, something still fermented but very different than those first two. So, and this took us three years to write. So, wow, labor of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of topics in there. So yeah, it's fermenting grains and legumes, um, beans, but. Uh, they're, they're all very different and rely on different microbes. So, <laughs> but it's, it's fun book. Well, that's great. And those of you who are listening, if you haven't seen these books, they're very thick, full of a lot of colorful pictures, very well produced. I mean, that's just really impressive. What led you to write the first one? We were lazy. So anyone that has the romantic image of being at the farmer's market and selling things and you, you go through and say, oh, someday I'm going to leave my job and be one of those people at the farmer's market. The reality is, is that, you know, you're getting up early, um, you spent the day before putting all that stuff in jars and labeling and touching it about seven times and keeping it cold. And you get to the farmer's market about seven in the morning and you get set up nine o'clock and then all day long people come through and they tell you how good your stuff is. They may or may not buy it. And you take home everything that you haven't sold and you repeat. 
And it is, I mean, we've met so many people, um, but it is a hard way to make a living. It's hard to, because you end up doing farmers markets four, four times a week. Mm -hmm. You're building product, making product in between. Um, so one was, uh, it was, it was hard to see doing that for a long period of time. We're also bad drug dealers in that people would get addicted to the product and then they wouldn't have the money to pay for a jar. And so we would uh, start passing out recipes to teach people how to do it because I, I would say you just need a cabbage and some salt to make this yourself. And, uh, and they'd say, really? And say, yeah. And then I said, well, it's not as good as yours, but it was really good. <laughs> and I said, all right. And so I think between those two things, um, we, we just had more of a passion for seeing people having success and being happy about eating it than the product to make sure you bought ours versus somebody else's. And so that's what led us into just, we should just teach people how to do this mm -hmm. instead of making it and having them eat it, ours, our version of it. Yeah, we, we just feel like the food is empowering and, you know, making it yourself or, or making it with friends or whatever is so much more empowering than going out and buying it. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, how about the bookmaking process, the writing and everything that goes into the production? Do you enjoy all of that? Yes, we're a little unique in that we're a husband and wife writing team. We've made it through three books and haven't killed each other. There have been times. Once we were on for one, we still have them. So. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, uh, we have a lot of uh, author friends now. One of the biggest things is finding uh, a company that's good to work with. Mm -hmm. Some story publishers who picked us up. Mm -hmm. They've been really fabulous to work with. If you have a good editor that you know can walk you along the process. And you said, like you said, they're really beautiful. They um, they have really quality photographers that come out and shoot these things. So you know it looks very professional. It is very professional. So that helps. Um, the writing process, it's, it's interesting because Chris and I are very different in that I'm more of an ideas guy and kind of scattered and I like to talk about things. I don't necessarily write anything down. And so Kirsten is also a big ideas kind of person and also she's the one that can put flavors together and since this is going to go with that, I don't. If you gave me watercolors, I'll always end up with brown. <laughs> you know, if not want to paint something pretty, I just add too much. Yeah. And it ends up always brown. Um, so she's got that flavor palette skill. So between the two of us, we, we kind of fill in the gaps. Don't you think? We're ready. And she keeps me on task. Like I'll say, oh my gosh, I found this. Piece of research is really great. Explains this, and she says, "Did you write it down?" I said, "No, but I also just stopped go write it down." Write <laughs> it down, and uh, it's working. I mean, we really enjoy being more popular. Oh, very much. Yeah. I mean, our days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> deadlines. Deadlines are ugly. <laughs> like like today. So um, this is our second podcast. Uh, we just did a demo. We're on a tour, starting a tour for this book. We just got the manuscript back yesterday for the next book. And Kirsten's working on the third book. So. You don't get bored. I guess. <laughs> thought of you just kind of are squirreled away, trying to come up with words. It's, it's much more just work ethic. 
You know, it's just like any other job. Several, just a pro- multiple projects at the same time. Well, and I think um, what's, what's probably changed with writing is you, know, you, do have to, you do have to find other outlets, so physically teaching or teaching online or whatever that is, is a way to help make the books uh, possible because you certainly don't make a living on Sometimes they just need to see it, experience it. And then we do things around the country in terms of news fair, um, and workshops, other places that are doing things like that. We do those things too. Yeah, we'll partner with people to put together a workshop so that, you know, everybody gets paid. And that's, uh, we're working on, you know, some online content, some classes and things like that. But we don't have a date. But we do have we do have a lot of big ideas, so and hopefully that will help supplement so that we don't have to travel as much. We enjoy the traveling, but you know it's still just paying for our time. We need to you know find more of those sources of uh, what's the word uh, passive income. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, we're going to pause the conversation right there. What you're listening to right now is a special edition podcast. These episodes all have to do with the Mother Earth News Fair in Albany, Oregon of 2019. At the time I'm recording this, we have learned so much about how to take advantage of events, and I want you to be able to use this information in your own business. 
Go to brianjpombo.com slash secrets. We are going to be putting out helpful materials on how you can use events to grow your business. When you go to this page, you will either see our latest programs, or if you make it there early enough, you will see an email address capture page. Put in your email address, and we will be sure and update you as soon as we get these out there. You're not going to want to miss this. If you get in early enough, you can get a special deal. These are principles that never go away. These programs will be based on the experience of people who have written books, spoken at the events, or exhibited there, talking about how to use events, books, and speaking, all to build your business. That's B-R-I-A-N-J-P-O-M-B-O dot com slash S-E-C-R-E-T-S. BrianJPombo.com slash secrets. And now, back to the conversation. Makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the Mother Earth News Fair. For those of you who weren't aware, they're going to be speaking at the Mother Earth News Fair in Albany, Oregon. What are you going to be covering there? Permits. <laughs> We're going to be um, talking about uh, making comments, permutations of comments. We're going to be talking about gut health. Um, a lot of what we're doing now, it started out really just culinary. Like, mm-hmm. You know, preserve your vegetables. Or, you, know, you can get some probiotics. Your vitamins are going to be increased and, and all of that. But the, um, the country, since the first book came up five years ago, the country's gotten sicker and the science has gotten stronger that our guts are, are everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so we do a talk on gut health and, and kind of pull it all together that. Um, we'll be talking about the new book, making, making some hands-on miso with folks that sign up for that class. I'll be teaching hordes of little kids how to make sauerkraut. Yeah. <laughs> and will be will disappear right before that, and then she'll show up at the very end. Uh, <laughs> it's really cool because you know part of it's just it's one of the things that people in the news can park their kids on place and go do right. Yeah. So kids have very low expectations of what's going to happen, and when we say, you know, how many of you? Like pickles, maybe two people, two kids will raise their hand out of 50. How many like sauerkraut? There's always like one brave little girl who defiantly raises her hand. Everyone's, kids will be holding their nose. And, uh, and then we, we talk about what it is, and we talk about its microbes, and their job is to eat sugar and fart. And then the kids are like, I'm interested. That, that's a job. You know, and we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna, and then we we're gonna get to touch our food, and they're like with our hands, yeah. And you know, they're well, have them taste raw cabbage, and I would say eighty percent of the kids have never tasted yeah. raw cabbage. They don't know, and, Not believe it. and they taste it. It's like, well, it's sweet. Yeah, that's sugar. That's what the microbes want. There's sugar and vegetables. Yeah. And then they'll taste it, and then we'll make sauerkraut, and we'll say it tastes like a salty chip, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, it tastes like a potato chip. Yeah, kind of. And then they'll put it in a Ziploc bag and we'll talk about, you know, millions of them. We taste it. Mm-hmm. Our, we bring already fermented. Yeah. So that they can taste that too. And then they take a little Ziploc bag home with millions of microbes, you know, that have to take care of. And uh, sauerkraut, and I mean, so they're looking at the bag and they're just so excited that they've done this. And, you know, the parents will come pick them up and they're like, oh, I made sauerkraut, look at all these microbes are partying. And you can tell the parents, like, what? But at the farmer's market, the thing would just kill us would be kids would come up and they'd start grazing, you know, on the samples, and they loved it. And the parents would step in and say, oh, you're not going to like that, that sauerkraut. And the kids would, like, mid-fork 
put it down. Oh, I didn't like it, but they loved it. And we grew up with soccer coming out of the can and soccer. And so we perpetuate those things that we think are bad without letting our kids taste it or experiencing mm-hmm. something new. And so I think for us, we were kind of dedicating our lives now to this. Getting to the kids is really important because you short, you cut out that part about people. We as adults, like, just go straight to them. And, you know, they typically love it. And if they're brave and they taste it and they like it, they don't know it's weird. And they just eat it. And then now they'll tell their kids, yeah, it's sarcot, you know, you can eat that. And so to us, to make a huge difference, kids are a really important thing. We try to, everywhere we go, we try to make sure there's some kind of kids thing that we do to sort of infect them with this cool thing. Oh, that's huge, too, because the demonstration and getting their hands in it, creating that memorable experience, I mean, that works with adults, but with kids, that's highly impressionable. That's awesome. What do you hope that everyone else is going to walk away with after watching your presentations? What's your your main goal there? So fermented foods are uh, basically processing food with microbes. Mm -hmm. And for the last 100, 150 years, we've been told that microbes are not a good thing. Antibacterial is what we do, and and for good reason. Um, However, now we're realizing, oh, wait a minute, some microbes are good. In fact, there are a lot that kind of keep us going. And um, so I think that pe- people come with fascination, curiosity, they're feeling bad, they want to feel better, but they also come with a head full of fear about these foods. They don't understand them. And so walking away, understanding them, and feeling safe enough to go home and try it, it is it. Because honestly, you know, these foods, the, um, the sauerkraut, you leave it on your counter for, for a few days or a few weeks, and then you stick your fork in it, right? And everybody's been told, you don't do that, right? <laughs> or, or some of these permits in the new book, you know, you're growing fungus. Mm-hmm. So you're in working in these temperature zones that we've been completely told make food spoil. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big part of actually when we're live with people you'd be surprised how many people are raising their hand because they're afraid of the food and so the big takeaway is it's easy you've got this and it's not scary it's safe (laughs) it's really funny about American culture and how you're slowly seeing this change, and I think it is because it's in the news all the time Mm -hmm. about the gut biome and, and the connection to mental health and everything else. I mean, it's it's amazing all the things that are tied back to gut health. And just thinking of American culture, me growing up, that was the same thing. Is You won't like that, especially when I came to sauerkraut and things of that sort. And it was always one of these things where we were always pushed away from that, and nobody was doing it on their own that I knew of mm-hmm. that was actually fermenting foods themselves. My wife was born in Ukraine, and they did a lot of that. So when we started hanging out together, she was showing me all these things she was doing. It was different, but at the same time, I, I'm adventurous, so I was willing to go with it. And she was probably cute. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so it's really interesting how things are changing. You guys are helping to change the world here. It's really cool. If someone is thinking of going to, let's say, the Mother of News Fair, let's say the one in Albany, Oregon, or any of the ones that they're putting on all over, what's the main thing you would say to encourage them to come out? Well, the neat thing about the fair is it 
it's one place that they pull together a lot of similar, you know, if you're into homesteading or self-reliance or um, alternative energy or, <laughs> yeah, it, it's all there and you can go at your own pace. There's usually maybe five stages going at every time, so you can plan out. It's very kid-friendly, so you can take the family and you learn everything from tractors to microbes and everything in between. There's lots of animals, and so it's kind of got that country fair feel to it too. But at the same time, if you really have projects or there's something you're trying to figure out, you can go and ask someone who is in that line and can answer your questions, you know, face to face. And I see that all the time with people having really in-depth conversations about starting a farm or, or gardening or going into business doing one thing or another. And I think that's really neat that. There's a place with like-minded people and lots of vendors. We're kind of focused around that. Mm-hmm. It's really, if you've seen the magazine, it's kind of like the oh, yeah. come to life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the speakers are very accessible and vendors, and so there is just a lot of information sharing. Yeah, and a huge bookstore, so you really can see somebody speak, go look at their book, go ask them questions, you know, look through the book before you ever make that decision to buy the book. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of nice that way, too. If you were to describe like the ideal person, the person that maybe you'll have a long-term relationship with or what have you that you're meeting in something like this, who is that person? Who's the ideal person that when they come in contact with you, they're like, wow, this is this is a piece I've been missing and I can't wait to learn more and that just the people that just really eat it up. Maybe we could do a couple because for demographics, um, 20-somethings are really, as a demographic, they're kind of rebelling against being told what to eat. Yeah. Um, I think they and, and you know, the homo-millennial group mm-hmm. really rebelling against that uh, thing that was really loved in the 50s, like, my burger is always going to taste the same at this place. I think we're getting away from that now. Yeah. <laughs> and that generation is really leading the charge. And there's so much more information out there. So, you know, when somebody tells them, you know, you don't, that, that's harmful. People look it up in the, in the phone they have in their pocket. And so it's a time now where society can make their own decisions about things. And so this, when we're someplace, it's funny because it's, the, it's those younger people that um, just think this is cool and they mm-hmm. want to do it for themselves. They have really do it themselves ethic yeah. and uh, flavors. And then surprisingly, it's, it's an older population too. You know, we have people now in our classes that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, who are very traditional, considered to be traditional um, in terms of conventional lifestyles. Yeah, and for some reason they're they're working on their health. Mm-hmm. You know, and they've come to this from whatever avenue, whether it's diabetes or osteoporosis or some some lifestyle thing, and they found fermented foods and. They want to make it themselves. You know, they're eating enough of it that they want to do it themselves. And they're the ones that I think email us when they make the first one and show us pictures. Our email, we, have, we get a lot of attachments and the good and the ugly. So we see we see successes and failures all over the world. <laughs> Sometimes we'll see what it is. They'll say, look at my beautiful thing, it worked. It's like, oh, that's a pretty one. You <laughs> get a lot of mold pictures. Yeah. Because people just want to know, is this okay to eat still? Mm-hmm. You know? and, um, and so we do a lot of that, a lot of outreach about that. But those are the kind of people that 
once they've had a success, they get excited, they start combining flavors, they're just proud that they're doing it, mm -hmm. and they want to share it with people, and um, so they become friends. So we have a lot of business owners and executives that listen to this podcast because we look at the self-reliance field from the business point of view, not just what you're providing people, but specifically you and the fact that you're looking to kind of run things to become more self-reliant. I mean, that's your whole story. Do you think it would be worthwhile for them to do something similar? Would you encourage other people to write books and speak in the same way that you guys are doing? <laughs> Well, so our path was a product company, and then, like you said, we sell information now. It's a very crowded world. As you know, you're one of a few podcasts, right? And mm -hmm. people have limited amount of time. So yeah. I think just in the information economy as well, you need to have a clear voice, something that's strong and, and um, differentiated from the others. And the other thing is you just have to keep building upon it. So if we had stopped with fermented vegetables, we would be one of many, many sauerkraut books now, yeah. you know, out there. Um, but we kept learning. And kept, so that's the other advice is even if you have a niche, whatever it is, um, you need to continue building upon that with your own experiences or others or new information and data to stay up on that and be willing to pivot. You know, we thought we were a product company. Now we're, yeah. now we're books and classes. Don't know what will be in the future, but whatever needs are there, you've got to keep your eyes open about you know what what's not being filled, right? Yeah. And books are like that too. You know, no one's really written about that. So we didn't grow up making miso or tempeh or nasa. Mm -hmm. It's not like Christian's Korean and I'm Japanese. And she <laughs> said, let's just do these flavors that we grew up with because these Americans don't eat it so much. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, casserole. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you have to be willing, I think, too, that when you see an opportunity to be able to invest your time and expertise to really learn that deeply and then write from that deep knowledge. But it's also very rewarding. I mean, you get it's, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hustle for. I mean, we're making it, and it's fun, um, and I think that's the, the best part. We're doing what we want to be doing, and we're doing it together, which, you know, the product company was our first first go at that, because before that, we had a pretty traditional go, because had the outside job and mm -hmm. the kids. Um, but, you know, we're also, we're, we're traveling, we live where we want to live, um, so I don't know that we really need it. Anymore, a little more, maybe good. No income. Income. Yeah. <laughs> Won't turn it down if it shows up. No, I guess what I'm saying is, is, and I really said it once that you know, book book writing isn't a path to wealth. Yeah. Riches. It just it isn't, but it is a path to um, credibility and opportunities that you know. Get, get your message out there if you have a passion. Well said. Great advice. How did you end up becoming a speaker at the Mother Earth News Fair? Was that through your books? Did Story set that up for you? Or did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? How that work? Yeah, the first fair was your Story we set it up. Um, and I think, yeah, the first... The, 
go-round for set affairs that I did was all through uh, story. And we have a good relationship now with Mother at Least Fair. And we both do, um, you know, freelance articles and things like that. Oh, okay. With Mother at Least Fair, they're launching a fermentation magazine just coming out in September. So we've been kind of helping with that. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then otherwise, you know, it's it's really like any other field. It's like who you know, and we all try to connect each other. And you know, this friend says, "Hey, you know, we know these guys doing a fermentation festival here. Why don't I, you know, do an email introduction? And you know, we do the do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's the fermentation community is is very welcoming community, but." Like any business, it's the same thing. Awesome. And you guys have been traveling a lot because you've been hitting all the different fairs and so forth. So what are some logistical tips that you would have for other people that are doing speaking and a lot of traveling and that sort? Well, if you have to travel for months, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> You're going to always be checking your bag. Yeah. You'll always get a love letter from TSA. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, traveling with knives and blocks of mold pretty much keeps you on there. Jars of stinky things that are getting warm in your bag and starting to walk out. Hot sauce. <laughs> um, so we, we both teach and lead workshops, and I think in all those cases, um, my biggest thing is manage your energy because when you're you know, some of those things, some of those days we'll teach for six hours, a few hundred people, and you're really drained at the end. You know, just staying on top of a class full of a hundred people with knives is, you know, that's a lot of mental energy just mm-hmm. to make sure no one whacks somebody with a knife. Yeah. You know, everybody's got fingers at the end of the time, and there's no blood, and <laughs> everybody's happy. So just taking care of yourself on the road, you know, getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, um, Trying to eat right, it's tough for us because we'll end up in really difficult places that just have chain places to eat. And so mm-hmm. just taking care of yourself when you're on the road because it can seem very romantic and you want to just go experience everything and you just come home completely drained. You're shocked yeah. for a few days and if you're on the road all the time, you don't have those recovery times. So I think that's a big one on the speaking side is... The other one is just, you know, it's a business too, and so you can get caught up speaking and not take care of where is this going to lead next, making yeah. the connections, you know, trying to plan out. Like Kirsten said, you're always hustling, so mm-hmm. remembering that you are the speaker, but you're also the CEO, and you're also the marketer, and you're all those things. And so depending on... You're also the contact person. Sometimes, uh, from my personality, it's, it's hard to... Um, Say, yeah, actually, do need to pay for this. <laughs> and I think I think that's probably something that writers and speakers in this day and age yeah. really, really suffer with because so many magazines, you know, or, or blog posts, it's like they're they're happy to get free content and they'll expose you to so many people. And um, I think when all this online self-publishing thing started. A lot of writers, in a way, shot themselves and the whole writing industry in the foot in that people expect free content. And it, it still takes work to make it. It still takes time to take pictures and develop the recipes or whatever your content is. You've invested in it. And 
yes, you do have to give some of it away. That's part of it, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying at some point, if you want to make it a, a, a career, you have to start valuing yourself and being able to say, yes, I'll do this, but here's what I require, whatever that is. You know, if it's $50 or if it's you know $2,000, you have to... And that, that's a hard move to make. It's, hard, it's, it's really hard to, to take that leap to say, um, yeah, I would love to come do this, um, but <laughs> let's talk about how, how to make that happen. That's good for everybody. Absolutely. It's funny, you spoke with Gary Collins with The Simple Life earlier today. He was mentioning the same thing about having to deal with the fact that We've created kind of an entitlement society in a sense that people kind of all have their hand out and they're expecting everything for free. Mm-hmm. And it's eventually you've got to put a price on things because if it's actually going to be valuable because yeah. everyone needs to eat. <laughs> That's a great, great advice. Something definitely, if you're new to the information business, it's something you definitely need to keep in mind. If you aren't new, you already know it, but you have to keep on top of that for sure. I really enjoyed my time here with you guys. What could a listener do who'd want to find out more, want to read your books, everything else, and, and all the classes that you provide? Where could they go? Our website has got our calendar for classes and, and whatnot. It's also got the free e-course, so it's ferment.works. That's probably the best place. Uh, I think we're most active on Instagram as far as just sort of that what's going on um, kind of place. And it's also at ferment.works. Just Facebook. Facebook. And, uh, yeah, the books are available anywhere that, that you buy books. Your little mom-and-pop brick-and-mortar store to big online sellers. They're, they're there. <laughs> Fabulous. Hey, thanks so much for being on the Off the Grid Biz Podcast. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you. I really enjoyed sitting down with Kirsten and Christopher. I wanted to point out just a few things from this conversation. First, the fact that they use an initial free course. This is common throughout Internet marketing, but not as common within the realm of self-reliance businesses. And it's something that I think is quite useful. They mentioned they have thousands of people who have signed up for this course. And it's called Five Ferments in Seven Days. It's an e-course. You can find it on their website, ferment.works. So why is something like that so useful? It's useful because it starts the conversation. It gives someone something quick, valuable, and in exchange for their email address so that you can continue communicating with them from that point on. And today, the world is so distracting. Any chance you get to be in front of the same person more than once is a good thing for your business. Something you should keep in mind is any form of lead generation like this, a way that you can have a lead that you can go back to, that you can communicate on a regular basis with, that is very valuable and it's way overlooked by most people in the self-reliance field. I love their story of starting and stopping, having these tough days at the farmer's market getting their product out there, going through all of the hassle, realizing finally when they're at the peak, when they've got this great deal with Whole Foods, that 
this is going to get even harder, you know, with the physical products and them looking themselves in the mirror and saying, what are we doing? Where do we really want to go with our business? And making the courageous decision to say, no, we're going to pull back and go in a different direction. And how did they choose that direction? They chose it by listening to their audience. Their audience wanted to find out how to do it themselves. It's all because of the fact that, as he said, they're bad drug dealers. They were giving it away. They were giving away the information straight off the bat, allowing people to make their own. But through doing that, they found out that many people were more interested in doing it themselves than in purchasing the final product. And the dirty little secret is that an information business is a lot less backbreaking if it's done correctly. And this is the thing that they point back to over and over again. They're doing what they love to do. Yes, it's a little tiring if you're traveling, if you're on the road and promoting a book, putting on presentations. These are all things that you have to weigh along with it. But overall, information is Delivering a book in the mail. It's sending information online. It's having online courses like they're talking about having more of. The best thing about information, it can be added to any current running business. Even if you have physical products that you're already getting out to people, you can tack on an information business. Like we've heard other people do, like Gary Collins. You can go and listen to our conversation with him. And that would give you more of an idea of how he's been able to do it. I think it's great that they've been able to work as a couple. They can deal with all of the stress that comes along with that because they have two very different personalities. But at the same time, they found a way to work around it. Part of the struggle of having an information business is constantly reminding people who you are and what you do. And that's what Kirsten said. And that's dead on. That's a huge piece of what they're all about right now. And it's important that they have their eye on that. It's also important that they have a focus on developing passive income because they don't want to run around forever. (laughs) They don't want to have to keep this thing going on its own. They have to have some pieces of their business that run on their own that allow people to access it without them having to hold people's hands every step of the way. That's what automation is all about. That's what outsourcing is all about. And I'm glad to see that they have their focus in that direction because I think they're going to get the best results with that in the long run. And finally, they mentioned that free information problem that Gary Collins had also mentioned. And this is something that, that the information marketer has to think about. What can I afford to put out there for free? Of the free stuff that I am putting out there, how much of it is encouraging people to take the next step? We can go on and on, and we will definitely be touching about that idea in the future. We will no doubt be talking again with Christopher and Kirsten because they live so nearby me. I can't wait to be able to dig in a little deeper into their concepts of business and the adventures they've been having on the road. Join us again on the next Off the Grid Biz Podcast, brought to you by the team at brianjpombo.com, helping successful but overworked entrepreneurs transform their companies into dream assets. That's B-R-I-A-N-J-P-O-M-B-O.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Off the Grid Biz Podcast, 
Go to offthegridbiz.com slash contact. Those who appear on this show do not necessarily endorse my beliefs, suggestions, or advice, or any of the services provided by our sponsor. Our theme music is Cold Sun by Dell. Our executive producer and head researcher is Sean E. Douglas. I'm Brian Pombo, and until next time, I wish you peace, freedom, and success. Thank you.